Well, good morning. My name is Mark and I'm one of the pastors here. If you're visiting, I'm glad that you're with us today. If you're a regular attender of this church, you received a letter in the mail from me this week. If you didn't get that letter, we have some extra ones out on the information table. And that letter spoke of a sabbatical that's coming up for me uh, toward the end of January. And I want to say a little bit about that. But one of our board members, Gina Sievert, wants to address that first. Gina. Thank you. Good morning. My name's Gina. I'm glad to be here with the family again today. And sometimes it's uh, time to call a little family meeting, and sometimes those can be scary, but not today. This is a good family meeting just for us to have a little quick conversation about something the board's been talking about for a couple of years now. And you may or may not know that actually in the Church of the Nazarene, we have a manual, and the manual talks about a sabbatical after a pastor's been in their current position for at least seven years. So that happened actually a year or so, two years ago. Where are we at? Yeah. Yeah. And so we've been talking about it for a while, but the timing just wasn't quite right. A couple of weeks ago, however, it was time that we discuss it further. We've had the DS come a couple of times. It's a very planned out uh, event. And uh, we discussed as a board that we want to be able to provide this time uh, for our pastor. So we're thankful for our pastor, right? <laughs> Definitely. And absolutely. And one thing that struck me, um, and I know some folks in, in the congregation, some of our family do work a lot of hours, own a business, own a farm, or what have you. But uh, our pastors, they're, they're on call 24-7, 365 days of the year. And that's a lot of weight and responsibility. So as a church, we want to be able to get behind our pastor, give him a 12-week sabbatical. This is not a time where he'll be vacationing, although rest is important uh, to be able to renew. This is not a time he'll be looking for another job. Uh, he loves <laughs> us. He loves our church. He loves our family here at Xenia Nazarene. Um, but it is a very planned, sought-out time where he'll be seeking God and refreshing and renewing. And he has such a deep desire to be able to end well here at the Church of the Nazarene in Xenia. And we pray that God's desire is that as well. And so we want to come together as a body and be able to provide this 12-week sabbatical. So thank you for your time. If you have any questions on that, any of us board members would be happy to discuss it. Hey, appreciate Gina and the board. They're very generous. I asked for an eight-week sabbatical, and they gave me 12. They said, just get out of here for 12 weeks, man. And, and I just appreciate their generosity in uh, all of that. appreciate their, um, uh, just their understanding working through that. A sabbatical is a biblical thing because obviously it comes from the word Sabbath, and Sabbath is a biblical word. You don't use the word Sabbath too much out in secular society. But, um, uh, you know, I've got something that I gave to the board as we started talking about this, I've also got this back at the information table. It's kind of overview of a sabbatical. And there's four pages here that I listed, some of my goals for the sabbatical and a little bit about what a sabbatical is. But I want to read something to you. I should have had them print this on, um, on the overhead so you could read it as well. But would you hear this? Because, I mean, a lot of you don't, never maybe even heard the term sabbatical before, or maybe only heard a sabbatical in association with a college professor who gets sabbatical every three and a half or seven years. And, but a sabbatical is a planned period of time. The key word there is planned. Sabbatical is a planned period of time in which I'm granted time away from normal pastoral responsibilities in order to spend extended times and rest and renewal. A sabbatical is not a vacation, nor is it only continuing education. It should be a time of prayer, rest, study, and travel. 
Sabbatical is an opportunity for me to strategically, is a key word there, strategically disengage from regular and normal tasks so that my ministry and mission, as well as the ministry and mission of the church, can be evaluated and re-evaluated. I am um, very much looking forward uh, to this time and what God will speak uh, to me. I will be away for a lot of this time. I couldn't, Sue couldn't handle it if I was in the house for 12 straight weeks. But uh, I will probably spend four to five days a week somewhere. Um, and I like warm weather, so I will seek out the sun sometime uh, in uh, the middle of the winter, I'm sure. And uh, as I desire to uh, hear from God, especially about finishing well in my ministry, I'm 60 years old in two weeks. And uh, I have six to seven years left of full-time ministry. And uh, I want to finish well. I don't want to limp to the finish line. I don't want to uh, drag myself to my 66th birthday or whenever I decide and the board decides that it's time for a new person in this spot. Um, So I really want to finish well. I want to finish at full speed. I want to finish excited about the ministry and um, not just make it to the end. And so uh, that's the major goal, to hear from God on that and do a lot of reading on that, do a lot of talking to other pastors and so forth on that. The second major goal is, uh, some of you may or may not know that uh, we have a daily devotional on two different radio stations. There's just a one-minute devotional that runs on two different stations. And I want to, and so I've got uh, two years of, of those on my computer. And so I'm going to take those and edit and compile and polish those up and put them in book form. And I have no desire to uh, sell these on Amazon or anything. I will, sure, I will self-publish it. But I have a desire to put all those in the form of a book and give them to the visitors of our church. And we can give them something that's a little more spiritual in a coffee mug. And there's nothing wrong with giving them a coffee mug. But uh, I like to hand something to them. And that is a big, big project. And uh, I will not finish that project in that 12 weeks. Uh, that is a long project to, to compile and edit all of those and make it, take it out of a speaking form on a radio program and put it into a written form that you can read. But that's going to spend uh, a good bit of my time on the sabbatical trying to do that. So Pray for me as I pray for you. I hope that you can get excited about that and how God is going to speak with me and changes that I need to make in my ministry so I can finish well. Those changes may be spiritual. They may be physical. They may be vocational changes. Uh, It could be a lot of different changes that I would finish well. So you'll be hearing a little more about this. We're not going to talk about it every single week. But my last, uh, I will not, my first Sunday that I'll be gone will be the last Sunday in January. And I, then I will return on Easter Sunday. And somebody smart Alex said they're going to roll the stone away and I'm going to come back and all that. But <laughs> the staff, uh, as well as some uh, guest preachers, will fill the pulpit during those 12 weeks and will do a great job uh, doing that. So thank you. Uh, I'm not sick or I'm not burnt out or anything. Somebody came up to me. In the second service, gave me a big hug and said, congratulations. That is the proper response. And some people, oh, you're going to be gone. You know, 
the church survived without me and the church will survive uh, before I got here and they will survive during that 12 weeks very, very well, I'm, I'm sure. So um, we'll be hearing more about that. Thanks for being here today. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. You're supposed to sit around and be thankful and it's hard to be thankful without being content. It's hard to sit around and be thankful for this and thankful for that and thankful for that unless I have a spirit of contentment in me. And when I think of contentment, I always think of one of the most renowned or well-known, most memorized, most quoted, most whatever you want to put after that verses of all of scripture in Psalm 23. And in the King James version of Psalm 23, many of us memorized, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, when you look at that in other translations and when you study the Hebrew a little bit, you would realize that uh, I shall not want is not a bad translation from the Hebrew language, but it may not be the absolute best. Almost every one of the new translations that we've had come over the last 75 years have changed that in a certain way. The New International Version, which is the version of the Bible that um, is very popular nowadays, changes that and said, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Better translation. Because you look into that phrase that is translated, I shall, uh, I shall not want, it's basically saying that you lack nothing. Okay? It's not that I don't want anything, it's, it's that I lack nothing. And those are two completely different things. Other translations of the Bible, uh, the New Living Translation is, is a very popular translation. And it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Good translation. Okay. And then the message is not a translation. The message Bible is not a translation. It's a paraphrase. Uh, and in that paraphrase, it says in the first three verses, God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. And that gets to the point of contentment. That gets to the point that contentment is, listen to me, is not based in what I have. It's in based in who has me. Contentment is not an external thing. It's an internal thing. And there's many scriptures that speak to that and the Lord is my shepherd I lack nothing is just one of those many of you have wanted something and you if you get this it's going to make everything right and you got it and you realize everything wasn't right and you realize that those external things no matter how good how necessary no one's putting down any of those external things but they don't feel the void it's not what you have that makes one content. It's who has you. The Lord is my shepherd. I like nothing. In the Bible, many times we're called sheep, the sheep of his pasture. Many times uh, his followers are called sheep and, and uh, a sheep is pretty much dependent upon the shepherd. And that's why that analogy is used there, that we're dependent upon him and he will provide for us. So if we're going to be thankful, it seems like I need to be content. 
And if I'm going to be content, it seems like that I have to know that I have a shepherd, that God is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Now, the Bible talks in many places about the need to be content. But if you think honestly for a second, discontentment is not a bad thing. No one will ever become a Christian till they get discontented. That's why a lot of people aren't Christians today. They haven't got sick and tired yet. They haven't got sick and tired of the same old life yet. That's why a lot of people aren't Christians today. They're happy with the things of this present world. But sometimes, by the grace of God, he magnifies that hole in our heart that only he can fill. And we become discontented and we start seeking somewhere else. And that's why the Bible calls us seekers many times. So discontentment is not a bad thing in and of itself. If someone didn't get discontented with outhouses, we all still be going to the bathroom outside. (laughs) Right? I mean... My dad said the most embarrassing thing ever happened to him in his life when he brought home some girl from um, when he was in the war and he met some girl in New York somewhere. I don't know how. Dad used to be a real rabble rouser. And he he brought some girl home from from New York to meet mom and dad. And so they were in the living room and for X amount of time and all of a sudden she says, where's the bathroom? I'm glad somebody got discontented. (laughs) If somebody hadn't got discontented with... (laughs) With the rotary dial phone. I'm glad somebody got discontented with talking to the operator and she unplugged this thing and plugged that thing in and she was listening to four or five conversations going on at the same time and... People got discontented. And so everything that's happened in this world that's pretty much been an upgrade or been improvement is because someone said, we can do better than this. And that's a form of discontentment. And that in and of itself is not a bad thing. Our capitalistic system, which may not be perfect, but there's discontentment bred into that to be able to make it work. I'm so glad that when I go to Florida this week, I've got to go to Florida for two days in preparation for our trip next week, two weeks from now when we take 25 people to Florida. And so I'm so glad that when I land in Destin, Florida and drive over to Panama City that I don't have to get out my Rand McNally map. Remember those? $4.95. Can you buy maps anymore? Nowadays, you know, I'm so glad that I'll just go... And somebody will talk me all the way there. Recalculating. (laughs) What a marvelous, what a marvelous invention. And that took someone being discontented with some wife trying to tell her husband how to get there. And you know how that used to be. We tried to keep king's island a secret from our boys we did and we were successful till they were like nine because we'd rather pay 12.95 to go to coney island 
But some of you boogers told them there was Kings Island. Now we got to pay $43.95 because we knew once they saw Kings Island, they'd never be content. We thought Coney Island was a big deal when we were kids, didn't we? Big time stuff. I grew up in the mid-70s in Lexington and we had Channel 18, Channel 20, NBC, Channel 27, CBS. And if you move the rabbit ears just right, you could get Channel 62, which was ABC. And that's what we grew up with. But now I get frustrated because there's so many of them. I can't find what I want. Discontentment in and of itself is not a, it's not a, it's not a really bad thing because all new inventions that we have, even discontentment with our spiritual life can lead us to Christ. Yet the Bible tells us in many places that we are to be content. And so how do we deal with that? First Timothy chapter six is one of these places that we find that in first Timothy chapter six, the Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. And what I've came, come to tell you again today that this contentment is not in how big a church I pastor, how many people pat me on the back, how good a sermon I preached, what kind of car I drive, whether my kids are getting A's or less, whether I have a nice vacation, all those external things, biblical contentment is found inside of me. And that's one of the reasons that Timothy says there godliness, godliness, something on the inside of you with contentment. It's of great gain. Paul talks about this in, in Philippians chapter four. Now listen, Paul writes this in a Roman jail. Now you can't tell me that Paul didn't want to get out of that Roman jail. You can't tell me that when the apostle Paul wrote this, he was just saying, don't just leave me in here. I'm having a blast. I don't want anybody to spring me out. I don't believe that with anything. I think Paul wanted out of that Roman jail. So contentment does not mean I don't want something. And Paul actually says that in Philippians chapter four, because he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that you've renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you didn't have opportunity to show it. They sent him something to eat or they sent him some clothes because back then you didn't get three meals a day in prison. You only got what people gave you and what friends or family members brought to you. So he's thankful that they gave him something. Next slide. I'm not saying this because I'm in need for I have learned to be content, Paul says. I've learned to be content in whatever the circumstances that I find myself in. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And what is that secret, Paul? Paul says, I can do all things. See, it's an inside job, friends. I can do all things through Christ. It strengthens me. You know, the word content... I, you may even wonder why I say this, because when I give you what the word content means in the real original language, you're going to say, well, Mark, that doesn't help your argument any. The word content means self-sufficient. 
That don't even sound like a Christian thing to be self-sufficient because as Christians, we're supposed to trust and be dependent people. But Paul's using it in this way that I have within myself something that is sufficient for me. And for Paul, that would have been Jesus Christ. I can do all things through Christ who gives me within myself. It's, it's not something on the ex- external. I don't have to have this and I don't have to have that and I don't have to have this. There's something within me, Paul says, self-sufficient. There's something within me that I have that makes me content. And Paul says, I'm content when I have plenty or when I'm in want. So Paul wants some things, but he still says he's content. That's what the scripture says. Whether I'm in plenty or I'm in want, I've learned the secret to be content. So wanting things is not bad. You're, you're not, I, I, a preacher can't de-Christianize anybody because you want something. Want something is natural. If, if, if I live in a little tiny house and I got four kids and, and, and I want some more room so I can get away from the rug rats, that's natural. That's not bad of me. That I, I, I want a separate living room and family room so, so Sue and I can go and be by ourselves sometimes and the kids are on top of us. That's not horrible thing it's not a horrible thing to want something it's not horrible to be able to want to take a nice vacation it's not horrible to want some things Paul says even when I wanted some things though I was still in content and you can't ever convince me that he wanted to stay in that Roman jail he wanted out but he learned that he could be content whether he was inside that jail or whether he was outside that jail because contentment is not a function of what you have on the outside of you. It's a function of what you have on the inside of you. And Paul says in that scripture that he has learned to be content. Contentment is not something. You become a Christian, you get knocked over the head with a baseball bat of contentment and all of a sudden you're content. No, that's not. It's a learning process. And as you walk with Jesus for weeks and months and years and decades, you learn that he, that he will provide for you. You learn that he is your shepherd, and so you lack nothing. You learn that no matter what situation, he has your back. He is your provider, and that's a learning situation, and we're all on that road for nothing. I'm not sure I could write right now at almost 60 years of age, been a Christian since I was 34. I'm not sure I can write that I've learned it. I mean, I got it wrapped around my little finger. I know all about it. I'm not sure I can say that, but I can positively tell you that I am learning this secret that Christ in me Christ in me whether we have 637 people at church on Sunday like we did last week or whatever it was or it looks like to me like it's down this week we'll be 500 and something I don't have to be discontented I don't have to be up and down and emotionally uh, weird about that I Yeah, I I wish there were 737 people here. But still, I know deep inside of me that my contentment is not based on anything external, whether it's your attendance or anything else, that my contentment must be based on who has me, not what I have. And Paul says, I've learned. I've learned. Whether I have a lot or whether I have a little, whether I'm in want or whether I'm well fed, I've learned that the secret is that Jesus is with me. And when Jesus is with you, you can do anything 
Have you learned that? Because that's really, really Christian. I think some people think Christianity is just about accepting Jesus and going to heaven. Do you, do you realize that the writer of Hebrews says you need to leave that because that's the elementary things of the faith and go on to deeper things? And one of the deeper things is that I have God with me and he will never leave me nor forsake me so I can deal with whatever comes my way. Good, bad, hungry, well-fed doesn't make any difference. I've learned that, that I can be content. One of the things that um, really impressed me about Sue when we were dating uh, impressed is, is okay word. Attracted is a better word. Is that Sue, this would have been 1995. We lived in the same apartment complex. And so I would walk down and court her. And Sue had a black and white TV in 1995. It very much attracted me to her because having a black and white TV in 1995 was not cool. In fact, it was pretty weird, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> she was out of it. Behind the times. Get with it. And I was deeply attracted to this one who was so secure in and of herself that she invited me over to her house to watch her black and white TV. Is that odd? And what she was saying was, if you're so superficial of a person that you're going to make a determination about me, about a black and white TV, you're not the kind of guy I want to spend the rest of my life with anyway. She was so, cure, so secure in and of herself in her relationship with Jesus, she could be, do something that was so out of touch with 1995. I was very attracted to that security. Guys, hear me, ladies. Guys aren't attracted to neediness. They're not attracted to neediness. If a guy's attracted to neediness, he's a control freak. And you run from those. I was so attracted to someone who was so secure that she didn't care what I thought of her black and white TV. Now, I bought her a color TV about a month after we started dating. <laughs> now, I don't sit over and watch ball game on white, black and white TV. I mean, my goodness gracious. <laughs> it's not whether you have a black and white or whether you have a color. You see, it's... It's, it's what's on the inside of you. Contentment is not a thing. It's not something you can touch. Contentment is a why. God wants to know if you want that new car, if you want that new house, if you want that fill in the blank, that's not bad that you want it. He wants to go deeper. Why do you want it? 
And if you want it because that'll make you acceptable, if you want it because that'll make you cool, if you want it because that'll make you secure, if you want it because that will mean that you have arrived, now you've got a spiritual problem. That's a spiritual problem. See, God goes, it's not the what. It's not the making money. It's not the sports car. It's not the nice vacation. It's not the... It's not the what, it's the why you want those things. If it was just the what, it would be so easy to be a Christian. I just won't have any of those things. I'll just deprive myself of all those things. Well, that would be simple. But God goes so deeper, he goes to your heart. Why? And he goes to the motive. Why do you want those things? Because it's not what you have that matters. Who cares? What you have is not an issue. It's who has you. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. The Hebrew writer continues in chapter 13. The Hebrew writer says this in chapter 13. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Some of you think money is the root of all evil. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. The Bible says the the love of money, and I think it's in Matthew, is the root of all evil. That love would probably better be translated there, the lust of money is the root of all evil. And that's the same thing the Hebrew writer says. Matthew says it, and now the Hebrew writer says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. And why should I be content with what I have? Because God has said, never will I leave you. You know what he says? Because you got me, man. Because you got me. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Why should I do that, God? Because you have me. And I'm trying to teach you that I'm all you need. And the problems I have in my life is that I'm not lock, stock, barrel sold out to God. Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, I want the thorns removed from me. Didn't he? The same guy that said he was content, he says, I want the thorns removed from me. I'm not satisfied with these thorns in my life. And God basically says, no, I want to prove to you that I will be enough. Not my gifts aren't enough. The things I do for you, it's just me, man. I'm the one that's enough. So he says, I I just want to teach you that my grace will be sufficient for you. And only when you you feel weak can you sense my strength in your life. Wanting is not the problem. You're not unspiritual because you want something. I I, I hope in six or seven years, I want to have a good retirement. I'd like to be able to travel. I'd I'd like not to have to worry about stuff. I I, I want that. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just why I want that. Do I want that because I'm going to be so incomplete if I don't have it? 
And do I want that to try to impress you and see what a look what I've done in my life and I can retire? No, it's not. It's the why that you want something that God is most concerned about. Contentment is not a function of what you have. It's a function of who has you. Sinclair Ferguson is a theologian of past, and this is the best definition of contentment that I can find. Contentment is the direct fruit of having no higher ambition than to belong to the Lord. That's good stuff, whether you know it or not. Contentment is the direct fruit of having no higher ambition than to belong to the Lord. You mean, Mark, you want to belong to the Lord more than you want to be a good husband? You better believe I do. You want to belong to the Lord more more than you want to be a good father? You better believe I do. You want to belong to the Lord more than you want to be able to pastor a good church? You better believe I do. Because I believe that if I belong lock, stock, and barrel to God, all those other things flow. And if those happen not to flow from my life, I still have contentment because I'm his. And I belong lock, stock, and barrel to him. That's why Psalm 34, verse 10, do we have that? Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Those who seek the Lord and all that, I mean, we could do a whole month of sermons on that word seek. And all that word seek means those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Contentment is not about what's going on around me. I've told this story before. I'll ter- tell, tell it again. About two years into my ministry here, a very, very good friend of mine did me a great favor. They walked into my office one day and said, Mark, I've heard a rumor, and I've got to ask you if it's true. They said that I've heard you made sexual advances to da 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 da. And that she had to push you away. Is that true? And she did, she did me such a favor by coming to talking to me about that. Because that rumor could have gone on and on and on, and I wouldn't even know it was out there. And I said, I said, there's not a word of truth to that. And I immediately called my district superintendent and told him and got counsel from him. I immediately called a board meeting. Because this is something we got to jump on right now and not let. So I called that board meeting for the following night. And that day I went home and obviously told Sue that I went through the story. We lived in Springboro at the time and we had season passes to Kings Island because the kids wouldn't go to Coney Island anymore. (laughs) So after I told Sue, I took the boys to Kings Island. And I was in line for a roller coaster with the boys. And it's like a thought came to my mind. I said, Mark, how can you be in line for a roller coaster when your ministry could be ruined? Because all you need is one false accusation. Right? 
You're any, any public person. We've, we've seen that in the news. Any public person can be falsely accused, and that can be it. And it's like God said, Mark, or I don't know if it was God. I don't know what it was. It just a thought came to my mind. Why are you in line for a roller coaster? Your ministry could be coming down, crumbling down. And I heard not a voice. I just, in my spirit, it seemed like God said to me, that's because, Mark, you know I have your back. And even though things around me were kind of weird, man, they'd never been through this before. I could have stayed home and fretted and, and what am I going to do? And, but God said he'll never leave me nor forsake me. And even if the board had falsely fired me, he's my father and those who seek the Lord like no good thing. Your contentment is not based on what's around you. Your contentment is based on who's inside of you. There was a movie uh, 15 years ago, I don't know, called Cool Runnings. It was based on a true story of the Jamaican bobsled team. That's kind of a weird thing right there, a Jamaican bobsled team. And so the, the, the movie goes that this, these Jamaicans wanted to enter a, a bobsled in the 80-something Olympics. I don't know when it was. And an American who won two gold medals came to coach them. And the American, as he was going for his third gold medal, was disqualified because he cheated. And I don't think I really know why, what he did to cheat, but he was disqualified from going to that third gold medal. And the night before, this Jamaican bobsled team was supposed to have their first run at it. This clip is one of the bobsled team members talking to the coach played by John Candy in the movie. And the, and, and the Jamaican bobsled guy wants to ask him, what did you do to cheat? But, you know, you, you don't really ask people that. So it's kind of awkward there. This, this clip is not really good, and it's kind of dim. So if we can dim the lights, that'll help us. Listen to this clip, please. Hey, Coach. Yeah. I have to ask you a question. Sure. But you don't have to answer if you don't want to. I mean, I want you to, but if you can't, I understand. You want to know why I cheated, right? Yes, I do. That's a fair question. It's quite simple, really. I had to win. You see, Therese, I'd made winning my whole life. And when you make winning your whole life, you have to keep on winning, no matter what. You understand that? No, I don't understand, Coach. You had two gold medals. You had it all. Therese, a gold medal is a wonderful thing. But if you're not enough without it, you'll never be enough with it. Did you catch that? A gold medal is a wonderful thing. But if you're not enough without it, you'll never be enough with it. That's obviously 
They're talking, we're talking spiritual, they're talking secular, but the principle is the same. If there's not something on the inside of you that determines who you are, irregardless of that gold medal, you're not going to be happy with it. If there's not someone on the inside of me that's driving my contentment, I don't care what I have. I don't care what I have. Paul said it this way in Colossians. Our, my, my seminary president was Maxie Dunham, and he tried to convince us young seminarians of this. And he kept telling us about this. And I, I quoted in the first service, and I just went to Facebook, and I private messaged him, and I said, hey, I just quoted you. I said, thanks for investing in my life. Because he said, he's beat it into our heads, Christ in me, Christ in me, bringing with him the hope of all the glorious things to come. It's Christ in me, Christ in me, Colossians 1.27. He said he even used it as a mantra in the morning when he shaved. Christ in me, Christ in me, bringing with him the hope of all the glorious things to come. And I wonder about David. Because if you read the Psalms, David had some tough times. Had some emotional highs and some emotional lows. And I wonder if David was almost doing the same thing when he wrote. Was he even almost trying to remember it and convince himself because of the ups and downs in life? Did, was he reminding himself, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You know, one of the big problems that we have in humanity is that we're tempted to live by our feelings instead of living by the truth. No matter what's going on in my life on the outside, I can look myself in the mirror in the morning and say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Christ in me. Christ in me. Bring with him the hope of all the glorious things to come. Is that the type of contentment that you have? That's what God wants for you. Our servers are coming to the table. Father, you promised us that those who seek the Lord will lack no good thing. You've said that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. You said that as we appropriate you as our shepherd, our leader, our guider, our protector, our provider, that we'll lack nothing. And Father, that's really easy for me to preach, but really hard for me to live. Continue to teach me. So maybe me and the rest of us one day can say, as the apostle did, I have learned to be content. Help me know when things around me are going nuts and when my wants seem to be a little more than my haves, that biblical contentment is not based in what I have. It's based on the fact that you have me. Teach us that today in Jesus' name. Amen.